six. Nehemiah chapter 10, and we read from verse 32. Uh, This is the final section of the covenant that they enter uh, into. Uh, They have been uh, responding to particular commandments and principles uh, of Scripture up to this point. And now they come and they respond to uh, the matter of temple worship and temple service. Um, Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 32, page 496. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. For the bread set out on the table for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, new moon festivals and appointed feasts, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our son and of our cattle, of our herds, and of our flocks, to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees, and of our new wine and oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes, in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine and oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary are kept and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. We will not neglect the house of our God. And then turning uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, page 1163, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace to abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Amen. My... Well, turn please in your Bibles to Nehemiah uh, chapter 10. Uh, We are considering for the final time this morning uh, the covenant God's people enter into with the Lord in Ezra's day. So Nehemiah chapter 10, uh, page 496. uh, And this morning we're looking at verses uh, 32 uh, to 39. Already from chapter 10 and verses 28 to 31, we have noted the theme of separation. Uh, As the people bind themselves to separate from the unbelieving world, uh, to separate uh, to the word of God, to separate to biblical marriage, and then to a biblical Sabbath And now in verses 32 to 39, uh, we have a further series of commitments the people make. And these all have to do with the house of God. They have to do with the house of God. The phrase house of our God occurs eight times in eight verses. And the phrase, the house of the Lord, occurs once. So a total of nine times, uh, Ezra, uh, or this passage, focuses our attention on the place of worship and the worship of God. Uh, The temple in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament. Um, There is now a very specific focus on the temple, which had been rebuilt 90 years earlier under Haggai. But in the years in between, there had been considerable neglect uh, of the worship uh, of the house of, and within the house of of God. In some cases the people had added to the worship of God and and worshipped false gods alongside the true God and in other cases 
people had just avoided uh, going to uh, worship of God. So why this focus on the temple? Why this focus on the temple? Well, the temple is the central uh, or the place of central worship within the Old Testament at this time. The temple is the place where God reveals himself in grace and salvation. As the sacrifices of animals and birds uh, are offered, as blood is shed, God accepts that um, for the people's sins. Those sacrifices themselves of the animals and the birds point the people forward to Christ who would come and uh, the shedding of his blood for the remission of sin. And so the animals uh, and the birds are an illustration and demonstration of that principle, the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of the blood of ultimately the Christ So the temple is where God reveals himself in grace. I will remember your sins no more. And and so the people are to gather there. The priests uh, offer these sacrifices day by day for sin. This is the place where the men go at least three times a year uh, for the feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. The temple is the place where Gentiles, people from other nations, come to learn of the living God. The temple is essential to their spiritual well-being. That's why there's this focus on the temple at the end of this covenant. Because it is critical, it is crucial, it is essential to their spiritual well-being. And so uh, this commitment then to the house of God. It's summed up uh, in verse 39. We will not neglect the house of our God. And that's a very simple text that we can take away today as the summary of this passage. We will not neglect the house of our God. That's the commitment they make. So we want to ask then, what was involved in this commitment? What was involved in this commitment? Uh, And uh, then we want to think about who was involved in this commitment. So we have two points this morning. First of all, what was involved in this commitment? Well, four matters are highlighted in verses 32 to 39, all of which have to do with the worship that takes place in the temple. In verses 32 and 33, they pledged themselves to a tax of one-third of a shekel. And this tax 
will be used to maintain the building um, because uh, it will require upkeep. And then it will be used also, this tax, to fund the sacrificial worship that happens in that building. So it is a pledge on the part of the people to the corporate worship of God. We will support, uh, we will assume responsibility for the corporate worship of God. What it takes to, to, to have it. And bear in mind that they're doing this at a time of economic hardship. We saw back in the earlier chapters uh, how uh, there's not a lot of money around at this time. Uh, they're going through uh, a time of uh, sparsity and yet they're making this commitment. By the time we come into the New Testament, this tax is half a shekel. And um, as far as we can tell, it's a tax that Jesus pays in Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. So it supported the worship of the temple. Verse 34 records a second commitment. And here uh, it is a commitment to bring the wood offering into the house of our God. And part of the sacrificial worship, there was an altar upon which there was a fire. And then uh, part of the sacrifices were boiled. And so this fire on the temple altar was to burn continually, day and night. Now to burn a fire day and night requires fuel, as we all know from our own homes. And in an earlier day, from the time of Joshua, the Gibeonites, they had supplied uh, wood and water. You remember that was their punishment, as it were, for deceiving Joshua and the Israelites. They were to be hewers or cutters of wood and carriers of water within Israel uh, for the place of central worship. But now it becomes everyone's responsibility. And look at how they do it. Verse 34. We, the priests, the Levites and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. They needed a constant steady supply of wood. Didn't need it all at the one time. But it was going to come from all the people. So how could they do it then and get enough for each time, for each day, for each month? Well, they used the lot to draw up a rota of who is on wood duty when. It seems uh, a very simple solution. Verses 35 to 37 then bring us to a third commitment. And here now it is to bring the first fruits. And the first fruits were to be brought from everything that the people had. The first fruits were the first blessings. So when it came to harvest time, the first fruits of the ground, uh, the trees, 
uh, their sons. They had to pay an amount for their first son um, because he was the first fruit of their marriage. Uh, first fruit of their cattle, their dough, their new wine, their oil. And all of these first fruits, what are they going to do with them? Well, verse 35 to 37, they're going to bring them uh, to the store rooms um, in the house of our God. Going to bring them into the house of God. And what was the purpose of these? Well, these uh, first fruits were used to support um, those who served in uh, the uh, temple and in the tabernacle before that. In other words, those who were full-time servants or ministers within the Old Testament church. Paul writes in First uh, Corinthians 4 verse 7, as we think of this principle of bringing in the first fruits, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And the first fruits were the way of the people recognizing all that we have, we have received from God. Why do we have a son? Because God has blessed us with a son. Why do we have fruit trees that have got fruit on them this year? Because God has blessed us. Why have our animals brought forth young? Because God has blessed us. And Paul may well have that principle in mind when he says in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? And his point then is, if you received it, why should you boast? And he was talking there about, yes, spiritual gifts. And he was talking into a context in the church where there was tension about gifts and who had the greatest gifts and who was the most useful in the church. And Paul says, hold on, folks, hold on here. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast about it? Or why would you use it to draw attention to yourself? The fourth and final commitment we have in verses 37 to 39. 37, the second part of it, through to 39. And it's now to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. Since the time of Moses, uh, the priests and the Levites own no land. Remember back in Joshua's day when the land was divided up? And the priests and the Levites did not get a share of the land. Why not? Because they are the ministers of the church. And they are to be supported by the people. And they were to be paid out of the tithe that the Lord's people bring in to the house of God to support the ministry. And here now they commit themselves to support not just the worship, but also those who are responsible for um, overseeing and leading the worship of the house of their God. Paul writes, um, and no doubt with this principle in mind in Galatians, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Let him who is taught 
He was thinking about the teaching ministry that is there in the churches of Galatia. And he says, you benefit from that. Well, if you benefit from that, then you should share your good things with him who does the teaching. So, what was involved in this commitment? Well, it's a commitment uh, to the temple service that will be carefully kept up and it will be liberally maintained. It will be carefully kept up and liberally maintained. It's very interesting that in this commitment that is made here, there's nothing about what they would receive from the church. It's all about what they would give to the church. I was speaking some time ago to a minister of another denomination and his church is a small church in a village where there's several other churches and he said that he finds that um, young couples come and they'll visit the church and then they will maybe have a chat with him and they'll say to him, what does your church have to offer our family? What does your church have to offer our family? And uh, he was saying uh, that the mindset has changed. There's a man who's now probably in his late 50s, early 60s. He was commenting how the mindset has changed from an earlier day, which is what can we give? What can we do for the church, within the church? To the consumer mindset, what can we get? And it's primarily what we can get. So there's none of that here. It's what we can give. And notice and bear in mind, these people are giving and making these commitments. The third of the shekel, uh, the wood, the first fruits, the tithes, all against a backdrop where they are um, paying heavy taxes to the kings of Persia. And they don't have a lot of resources within themselves. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7, surely makes an apt comment um, on this situation and relevant to us. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Commitment to the worship of the house of God. In the New Testament, the house of God is the church. Not the building, but the people. Those who are saved by Christ. You are the church. And is less required in being part of the New Testament church? Well, surely not. We, in Acts chapter 2, get a little glimpse into the commitment of the early church members, the early believers to the church in Jerusalem. And we get that um, impression and that picture of people who are involved, lock, stock and barrel. We read in Acts chapter 2, 
verse 42, they devoted themselves, literally as they were superglued to the teaching of the church, the teaching of the apostles, the teaching ministry, and then to the prayer uh, life of the church, to the worship, to the fellowship, to the caring ministry. If you go through that passage uh, and you will see that they're, they're committed to these things. And you see, for them, as for the people in Ezra's day, as for us in our day, wholehearted involvement in the house of God enables us to grow and mature in Christ. It enables us to grow and mature in Christ. It is not possible to be mature in Christ outside of his body, outside of his church. Yes, we can know lots of things and we can have lots of theological understanding because we can get that from reading and study, but we cannot develop mature Christian character outside of the church because it's as we live in the body that we learn to love and to forgive and to minister to one another and to build one another up and to be built up in our most holy faith through the ministry that Christ has placed in the church. So let's ask ourselves this morning about the level, the degree of commitment that we have to the house of God, the house of God. But then let's notice, secondly, who was involved in this commitment? Who was involved in this commitment? Who, in fact, made this commitment to the house of our God? Was it a few? Was it some? Was it many? Was it most? Well, clearly, it was all. It was everyone. No exceptions are recorded. Verse 34 notes the priests, the Levites, and all the people, and the people. In verse 39, we have the phrase, the, cheap, the children uh, it's better than the NIV, the people of Israel, uh, the descendants of Jacob, the whole body of God's people at that time. Um, when we go back to verse 28, we learn that uh, those who had, um, uh, who had knowledge and understanding, those who are able to understand, all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, And then uh, we have the repeated use of the word we throughout this passage. We, we, the priests, verse 34. Uh, verse 35, we also, um, uh, right, verse 36, also as it is written in the law, we will bring the firstborn. Verse 37, we will bring to the storms of uh, our God. And verse 39, we will not neglect the house 
of our God. This is a corporate commitment to the house of God. A commitment of people of all ages, um, people of different means, because we know there were nobles here. We know there were ordinary people uh, here trying to uh, eke out a living. Uh, people of various ranks. Um, there's a reference to the priests, the Levites. Uh, there's a um, reference at another point to the singers and the gatekeepers. Uh, people are coming from um, various places within Benjamin and Judah at this time. They're not all living in Jerusalem, as the beginning of chapter 11 makes clear. And so there's a huge variety uh, in terms of circumstance amongst these people. But they're pledging themselves wholeheartedly and enthusiastically to be involved in the house of our God. Who was involved in this commitment? The whole body of people. Over the past months, as elders, we've been praying and reflecting on the life of our congregation in order to establish priorities that we should have for the next years ahead. And we have considered our worship services, our prayer meetings, our midweek, our outreach ministry, the practical tasks of serving refreshments through to the upkeep of this building. And a common feature in all of these areas is that not everyone associated with the congregation is fully or equally involved. Not everyone is fully or equally involved. Not everyone is involved in both Lord's Day services, in the prayer meeting, in the monthly psalm sing, in the Wednesday evening meeting, in the in, in outreach. Now that's not a problem unique to us. It is a problem in many churches. But it is a problem we need to recognize and remedy. It's a problem that they recognized here in our passage. Uh, that there had been neglect uh, and a lack of commitment in the past. And so it's been rectified uh, at this present time. It's not something, this is not something that elders can remedy by um, some proposal or some um, strategy or some program. This is something that we have got to deal with individually and resolve and address in our own hearts and in our own lives. Let's ask the question for a moment, what would have happened had only some in Ezra's day, committed to the house of their God. What would have happened? Would the temple have ceased to function? Would the 
Worship service have no longer happened. We'll know it would have kept going on. But all would have been the losers. All would have been the losers. Those who didn't commit would have missed out on blessing. Because there is blessing when the church gathers in worship. Christ said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so when we're absent from the house of God and from whatever activity it is, there is blessing that we miss. But then on the other hand, those committed would have had to give more. They'd have had to give more than a third of a shekel. They'd have had to give more wood, or perhaps more frequently than once a year. They'd have had to give in a greater proportion than the tithe. They'd have had to do more for the house of God to function as the Lord intended to do. And that is still the case today. The church will not stop functioning or meeting um, generally if some don't attend or don't participate. But they miss out on blessing who don't attend. And those who are involved, they are left with more to do. More to give. The Apostle Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, when he was writing to the church about the church in Corinth about giving uh, to the needs uh, of the believers in Jerusalem, he had this to say, and it applies to this situation and the church today. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13. Paul had this principle of he wanted to see um, not, he wanted to see an equality of responsibility, an equality of giving, an equality of participating and a quality of sharing uh, so that nobody would be hard pressed and in many churches today there are uh, people who are weary and they're tired and they're exhausted why because they're hard pressed because others who profess Christ within the church are not bearing their load. As Paul put it to the church in Galatia, let each one bear his own load. There is a responsibility uh, that falls upon everyone who names the name of Christ and who joins the church of Christ to be uh, involved wholeheartedly enthusiastically in the church so that no one is hard pressed but that there might be equality uh, in the distribution 
of responsibility uh, and duty. So then they said, we will not forsake, we will not neglect the house of our God. Again, as we close Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together. Or we could add to that, let's not give up being involved in the church as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's encourage one another in our commitment to, in our involvement in the house of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one by whom the church exists, the one who laid down his life as the ransom for the forgiveness of our sins, the one who is the head of the body, the one who gave everything and sacrificed all in order to save us from our sins. We thank you for that glorious truth that those who repent and believe that they are the children of God. And so, Lord God, we pray that we would belong to the body of Christ enthusiastically and wholeheartedly. We ask that you would help us to um, recognize and return Uh, the commitment that he gave to us and that we would be committed to serving him uh, and serving within your church in this day and generation, reaching out into the world around us and seeking uh, to serve it also so that others will come to believe in Christ and be added to the church. Forgive us, Lord, where we have neglected your church. Forgive us where we have thought, what can the church do for me as opposed to what should I do for my church? Forgive us, Lord, where we have not um, given of our time or our energy or our money or our gifts to the service of your house. And Lord, work in each one of us by your spirit the commitment that you want us to make so that we are reflecting Christ and that we are serving him and growing and maturing in him within the church. In Jesus' name, amen.